you've ever been to New York City and walked on the streets, you know that you can easily get lost. All the buildings look the same. They're all gray, basically. The streets look the same. They have stoplights and the streets gray. There's a lot of gray, a lot of tall buildings. It is difficult to walk around without getting lost. Of course, the best way not to get lost is to have a good GPS and a phone that works, right? The phone will even talk to you and tell you how far to walk or how far to drive, when to turn left, when to turn right. But before we had phones and GPSs, we had to use an old-fashioned map. And you'd use a map because it would give you a bird's-eye view of where you were so that you could see above all of the tall buildings and all of the crisscrossing streets. And you could see... And from that map, you were able to determine where you were, where you had to go, how to get there. And I think when we look at this map, that we also realize it's kind of complicated, isn't it? So it's helpful, but it's still not necessarily simple. And that's, I think, a good analogy when we come to prophecy. Because in prophecy, if you just look at one verse in the Bible, look at one passage in the Bible, it's like being in the middle of New York City. You can easily get lost with just that one verse. So you need really a a blueprint. You need a map that helps you to put all those different pieces together. But even still, when you do that, it's not necessarily simple. It can still be complicated, even though you have the outline, you have the map, You have the direction that God has for the future. And the reason that's true is what I've already shared with you. Just like at Jesus' first coming, also at his second coming, some things are perfectly clear and easy to understand. Some things aren't as clear. They're hard to understand because God hasn't revealed everything about them. And it's possible that in Jesus' second coming, there are things that God has not even let us know about. So, of course, we're not going to be able to put that piece into the puzzle. He hasn't even given us the puzzle piece. Because God doesn't always give us all of the information or all of what's going to happen. So, because of that, when you look at prophecy, it can be extremely difficult if you don't have the map. Even with the map, it's easier to understand but not all of your questions may be answered. So keep that in mind when we come to, again, for the last time here, this time, Matthew chapter 24. Here is the map that should help us understand Matthew 24 and the future that God has for us. The first parts of Matthew 24, after the disciples ask their question, Jesus tells them about the birth pains or the beginning of the troubles that will come upon this earth. And really, that's where we are now. Jesus talks about wars, rumors of wars. He talks about earthquakes. He talks about famines. He says, these things must take place, but these aren't the end. These aren't signs that the end is coming. These are just signs you're living on earth. This is what life on earth is. It's a planet filled with sin. It's a planet filled with sinful people. It's a planet filled with the consequences of sin. So there are going to be earthquakes and famines and wars. From the beginning, remember from the very beginning when there was one family, Cain murdered his brother Abel. So if you have that kind of violence in one family, imagine having that with millions of families. So Jesus says this is not the sign of the end. This is the sign of life. And these things are really, they're painful and they're tragic, but it's just kind of the beginning. 
And so like when a woman is in labor, the labor pains may come, but unfortunately labor may be hours and hours and hours away from when the baby comes. So it's the same with the birth pains. This is the beginning, but it's only the beginning of the end, and the end may not come for a long time. And that has been true, hasn't it? It's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus spoke that, and the end hasn't come yet. The part that's not in Matthew 24 is what Paul reveals to us. Remember, Paul said that this truth of the rapture was a mystery. That means that it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It wasn't even revealed by Jesus. This was a new piece of the puzzle that no one had ever heard before because God never told anyone before until he told Paul and, of course, told Paul to tell the Thessalonians, to tell the Corinthians, and therefore all of Christians to look forward to this. In fact, this is the next thing that we are looking forward to. It is the rapture. It's when Jesus won't come to the earth. He will come in the clouds and we will leave the earth to go to him. So it's not his second coming because he doesn't come back to the earth. It's the rapture because he is coming to catch us up. That's what that word means. Catch us up. Take us up to him in heaven. There are no signs before the rapture comes. So the rapture can come at any moment. The Christians that first heard about it in Corinth and in Thessalonica, they had a hope that Jesus would come back that day in their lifetime. Every generation of Christian has had the same hope, and we have the same hope. And if it's, the Lord doesn't come back for another 2,000 years, Christians between now and then will have that same hope. You see, we don't have to wait for a future time. Jesus may come back today. Because we don't need signs for the rapture. It's going to happen when God is ready. And when it happens, it will happen in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye. Those Christians who are dead, their bodies will be resurrected. Those of us who are alive, our bodies will be transformed. We'll get rid of dead bodies. We'll get rid of old, worn-out bodies. And we will have glorified bodies that will spend eternity with the Lord. That is our hope. And that's what we're waiting for. And it could happen before I finish preaching today. That's what we need to be ready for. When you go back to Matthew 24, Jesus does talk about some other things. He talks about some signs that show us that the world at this time, when these things happen, will be in a time of tribulation. This period of time we learn in Daniel starts when there's a world leader that makes a covenant with Israel. That's what begins this time. In the first part of this time, you will see an intensity of all of the tragedy and all of the sin and even the judgments of God upon this earth. We who are Christians won't be here because we would have been raptured and be with the Lord. There'll be people who are on this earth some of them will see what has happened. They'll see the signs. They'll read Matthew 24 and other passages and they will repent and they will believe. And they will be Christians then of the tribulation period as we are now Christians of this church age. This intensity of judgment and of tragedy will increase when the world ruler or the Antichrist will say, worship me. He will set up his idol in the temple. And this is what Jesus calls in Matthew 24 as the abomination that causes desolation. And that begins the last part of the tribulation where it gets so bad, it's the worst it's ever been in human history to the point that Jesus says if God didn't put an end to it, all of humanity would be killed. That's how intense, that's how severe this judgment 
this persecution, these tragedies, the violence of the world's going to be. So I want you to think about that. We often think that it's bad now, and it is bad now. It is bad. We're in the middle of a pandemic. There's violence all around us. There's unrest. There are less and less believers in a sense. More and more people believe whatever they want to believe. Morality is worse. It is bad. But honestly, the truth is, it's always been bad. I mean, the days of Noah, there was one family that God saved and killed all the rest. It was bad in Jesus' day. In fact, Paul talks about his generation being in the last days. And we have been in the last days for 2,000 years because it's bad. And you could make an argument it's getting worse. And you're probably right, it is getting worse. But has it gotten as worse, as bad as it could be? I don't think so. I don't think right now we're on the brink of human extinction. So as bad as it is, it's going to be far, far worse then. And then Jesus says, that's when he's coming. And if he didn't come then, the whole planet would be decimated. and There wouldn't be a human alive. And that's what we see at the end of Matthew 24. And that's where we're going to start right now. Notice Jesus uses this word immediately. Immediately meaning this is going to happen right after that distress and that great tribulation. Immediately after, he even says it here, the distress of those days. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So there are three things that Jesus describes here. The first part is the prelude to his coming. When we worship together, we often have music right at the beginning or right before the service starts. Is it the beginning of the service or is it sort of the initial beginning of the service. When does the service really start? When the music starts with Jan in the first service playing or you hear the CD playing here in this service? Or does it start when Pastor Brady strums his, the first strum on his guitar? Okay, So you can say, well, it kind of starts with the music. It doesn't start with the music. Well, that's why it has a special name. <laughs> that's why it's called the prelude. It's sort of the start, but it's not really the start, but it is the start, but it's not the start. You get it? And so that, that's, that's what's happening here. These things that happen, the, the heavens with their disturbance and the sign of the Son of Man in the sky and the mourning that takes place on the earth, when that happens, Jesus isn't here yet. But it, it's, I mean, he's this close to being here because this is sort of like the prelude. This is the, little, this is the last thing that happens when he appears here on this earth. So the, the first of these three things in this prelude is the heavens being disturbed. The, the sun darkened, the moon darkened, the, the stars falling from the sky. I'll read them again. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky 
and then the peoples of the earth will mourn. Those are the signs, the heavenly disturbance, the sign of the Son of Man, and people mourning. Some believe the disturbances in the heavens are not literal, that it's a metaphor for just the world system and the world governments being shaken up. Some may say, well, for example, how can the stars actually fall from the sky? Now, stars are really suns. You know, there's billions of suns in our solar system, in our universe. So, you know, if a sun actually fell and hit the earth, there would be no more earth. So, some would say, for that reason, this can't be literal. But isn't it true that when we see big rocks from the skies fall, we call them falling stars or meteors? So, so I think especially the falling stars, they are literal, but they're described metaphorically, if that makes sense. Just like we described them. You look out in the summer sky and you look for falling stars. Well, you know when you say that, you're not really looking for a sun to come and hit the earth. You're looking for those heavenly bodies, those rocks out there in space that they come into our atmosphere and they blaze and they burn like a star and hit the earth. So we do see literally the sun darkened and the moon darkened when there are eclipses. So right before the Lord comes, there is going to be this disturbance in the heavens. And then the, son of, the sign of the Son of Man is going to appear in the sky. I have no idea what that is. There are as many opinions about what it is as there are people who have given opinions about it. And so I'm not going to add to those opinions. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't even give us a hint or a clue as to what the sign of the Son of Man is. Jesus has his sign, and he knows what it is, and he's not letting any of us know. So let's not try to figure it out. But notice this, when he shows that sign, it's, everyone's going to know Jesus is here. There's not going to be a mistake about it. People aren't going to be standing around and saying, oh, I wonder what's happening up there. They're not going to be standing around and debating, well, I think it's this, I think it's that. No, they're going to see it, and they're going to know immediately Jesus is here. And they are going to mourn. And you would hope this is a morning of repentance. But it's going to be more, I believe, a morning of this is the end. I've gotten caught and I wish I weren't here. Now, isn't this true? I love to use this analogy, but I think it's pretty effective. When you think of yourself as a teenager and your parents leave the house and they tell you, I'm coming back. As I shared with you before, some teenagers say, "Woohoo! no parents, let's have as much fun as we can. And then mom and dad come just a little bit earlier than you thought they were, and you hear the car, you hear the car door, and you start to cry because you have been caught. You're not crying because you're sorry about what you're doing. You're crying because you got caught and you should have been smarter. I mean, that's why you're crying. So isn't that true that sometimes people cry when they get caught and they say, I should have been a better sinner. I should have been a smarter sinner so I wouldn't have got caught. And the lesson they learn is the next time I'm going to be better at sinning. So that's not why some people cry. But others do legitimately cry and say, look what my life has become. And I'm going to get rid of this garbage and I'm going to repent and I'm going to walk with the Lord. But I don't think that's what these people are doing. The reason I say this is because of what we see in Revelation. 
Here it talks about the fifth angel, is who it's referring to, poured out his bowl on the earth, excuse me, on the throne of the beast and its kingdom, and plunged it into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of the pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. See, the Lord is going to judge the earth in that time of seven years with seven seals. And I don't mean that type of seal. The, the, The seals that are on documents and you break the seal to open up the document. So there's going to be seven seals and there's going to be seven bowl judgments and there's going to be... Seven trumpet judgments. So there's seven, 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 21. And you would think people would see, okay, one, two, three. You know, they get the point, you know, after 15, 16. But this shows us here that they're not. Some will. Some will get it. And they will repent and they will be those believers in the tribulation period. But most will not. And most the more that they are judged, the, the harder their heart gets and the stiffer their spine gets and they are more determined than ever to hate God and hate what he's doing to them. It reminds us of Pharaoh. Remember when Moses, uh, God through Moses sent all those plagues. Pharaoh said, get rid of it, then I'll repent. But when the plagues were gone, he said, uh-uh, you're staying, you're not going. Even when he said, get out of here, he went and chased them down. See, with each plague, his heart got harder and harder, and he was more convinced than ever that he was never going to let those Israelites leave Egypt. I believe in the tribulation, that's what's going to happen. So they're not mourning because they're repenting. They're mourning because they've gotten caught, and the end has come. And they're probably even more angry and madder at God then than they ever have been. Because of their hard hearts. And then Jesus is here. This is all it says in Matthew 24. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. This harkens back to Daniel chapter 7. Where the Son of Man comes in the clouds to set up his kingdom. All the other kingdoms before that were toppled and they fell. And isn't that true? We've had kingdom after kingdom, government after government on this planet. At one time, it was the Babylonians, then it was the Greeks, then it was the Romans. You can see history, but every time a a government, a kingdom rises, it always falls. There's going to be a day when Jesus comes, and it's going to be the last and everlasting kingdom. And that's what Daniel 7 says. He comes in the clouds. Acts chapter 1, remember the disciples looked up into the clouds when Jesus ascended. And the angel said, he's coming back the same way he left. How did he leave? Into the clouds. How's he coming back? In the clouds. We get more information in Revelation. That was just one verse. Very muted, almost anticlimactic after all the signs. But here it says in Revelation 19, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth, so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. 
He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here's one artist's rendition of that time that Jesus will come. When Jesus came the first time, he was a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. When he comes the second time, he is going to come as a conquering warrior. He's coming as a judge. He is coming as the ruler of his kingdom. He is coming as the king of kings and lord of lords. This is who he is and he's going to reveal it to the world. And as I said, there's not going to be any debate or question about what's happening. They're going to see it and know it. The king of kings and lord of lords is here. And when he comes, he is going to judge the earth And he is going to gather people. The next words that Jesus say are this in Matthew 24. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet. And they will gather his elect from the four winds. From one end of the sky to the other. There's going to be a gathering of the elect. What is that? This is the third time this word elect is used in Matthew 24. And it refers to those people who see the signs, who see the judgments, they hear about Jesus, and they believe. These are the believers, the Christians of the tribulation era. Remember, we're the Christians of the church age. When the rapture comes, all the Christians of the church age are gone to heaven. So immediately after the rapture, there's nothing but unbelievers on the earth. That doesn't last very long. People will be alive who remember maybe this sermon and similar ones. And they said, oh... Well, that was true after all. And so now they, uh, they believe. Or through them and through the teaching of the kingdom coming and Jesus coming, people believe. So when Jesus comes to the earth, he will have his angels gather all of the Christians who are here on the earth at that time. I believe also the Old Testament saints at that time will be resurrected. It's possible that we who have been raptured and come with Jesus himself. So you see what's happening? Jesus then is gathering all of the believers in him, the people of God from Adam to the very last one to believe in the tribulation. He's gathering them all dead and alive and raptured together so that everyone that's in his family is ready for his kingdom and ready to be there with him. There's also another gathering. It's a gathering of the armies of the world at Armageddon. And they initially come together because they want to fight the Antichrist and they want to fight Israel. But when they see the sign of the Son of Man, they realize Jesus is coming back. And just like it always happens, the, when you have a common enemy, you stop fighting each other and you fight the one enemy you all have. And so they fight against Jesus. And that's when, as we saw in Revelation His judgment on them is like him pressing the wine press and the grape juice that flows out is the blood of those that are vanquished and the victory that Jesus has over those armies. And then there's a gathering that we'll see in Matthew 25 of the sheep and the goats. We'll talk more about that when we get to it. But really, it's the gathering of all the people who are alive to be judged Righteous, the believers in Jesus, will go into the kingdom. Those who are unbelievers will go into the lake of fire. And so, I ask you again, I know 
you may get tired of me asking this question, but it really is the essence of everything that Jesus teaches us about the future. Are we ready for it? You see, there's going to be a gathering. God's going to gather his people. He's going to separate them into believers and unbelievers. The first gathering is going to be the rapture. Are you ready for it? Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are, then you're ready for it. If you're not, you're not ready. And we all know that today may be our last day on this earth. Are you ready for that? Being ready for our last day and being ready for the rapture is the same. It can happen at any moment. Maybe you say, I'm just going to put it off. The Lord comes back. You're left behind. Better make a choice then. There's going to be another gathering at the end of that time. Again, those who are believers into the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom with the Lord Jesus Christ. The unbeliever is a lake of fire. There's always going to be that gathering. And always, separation is always based on the choice that we make in our life. Make that choice now for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may never have another chance to make it. The last thing I want to say to you before we close our service is this. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has given us this vision of the future, so to speak, to give us comfort, to give us joy, so that we live life without fear. This is what confuses me sometimes when I talk to Christians. When they see things are bad, they get depressed. Oh, things are terrible. Things are awful. The Lord's coming back. And it just sounds so depressing. And I think, well, yeah, maybe he is coming back. Get a little bit excited about it. This is, this is a good thing. <laughs> or they're worried about, it. oh, my goodness, he may come back today. What am I going to do? You know, the, the end is here. What am I going to do? Well, the Lord's telling us this so that we're not worried. Because we know the future. We're not depressed. Because we know his coming brings our joy and our eternal presence with him. If the end is near... We should be more excited, more joyful than we've ever been. Less fearful than we've ever been. And telling more people than we ever have that he's coming back. That's how we respond to this. I could understand if Jesus never told us our future, that would bring us anxiety and worry. We would have no idea what to expect, no idea what was coming. But that's why he told us. Paul says, comfort one another with these words talking about the future. They bring us comfort, joy. So leave here today ready and leave here today joyful because the Lord may come back today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth. I pray now, Lord, that we would, would accept it and believe it and it would change our lives. I pray for any who are worried today or depressed that the end may be near. I pray, Lord, you would replace that fear and worry with faith and the joy that comes from your love. For any who are not ready, I pray, Lord, that today, right now, they would believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for their sin and you rose again to life and that they would trust in you for their salvation. They do so today, Lord, and they will know that you have saved them and they will be with you forever. Lord, as we sing now, I pray it's a time of great rejoicing. I pray it's a time to be right with you. And I pray, Jesus, in your name, Amen. Stand with me, please. And we're going to sing to close our service.
If you have any need, I will pray with you. If you want to join the church today, let me know and you can join right today. If you want to be baptized on October 18th, let me know today so we can make plans for that. A lot of decisions. Decide today you'll be joyful that the Lord may come back. Make a commitment to tell your neighbors that he may come back today. There's a lot to respond to God's word. God has spoken to you. Now you need to respond to what he said. I will talk to you at the back, but come there for any of those reasons and anything else you have. Let's sing. Let's respond.